Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about the first in a series of many episodes about haunted theaters. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Let's go over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. If you want to support the show, that's how you do it. And let's do some shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to Damien and Daniel, Eric, Joe, Marisol, Tanya, Aaron, Alexandra, Amy, Andrea, April, Ashley, Becca, Brandon, Chuck, Dan, Darth Pikachu, Donald, Dorian, Isabel, Jason, Lauren, and Phil Vangano, Lauren Strawn, hey howdy hi, Lindsay Hahn, Manning, Martin, Michael, Mildog, Robin, the Sean Bishop, Aloha, Sherry, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Trudy, Vanessa, Veronica, Vicky, Andrew, hey howdy hi to Andrew, glad to see you here, Art Muffin, Autumn, Carolyn, Cindy, Derek, Dill, Ezra, George, Harley, Heidi, Roger, Ian, Jeff, Juliana, Carrie, Connie, Christopher, Lawrence, Leo, Liam, Loki, Megan, Nanashi, Paula, Paul, Ricardo, Russell, Seth, Scustin, Suzanne, Tasha, Tim, Void Tech, Audra, Bob, Cindy, Devin, Elizabeth, GamerFam, J Mark, Jade, Jerry, Kenneth, Kim, Laura, Pitts, Melody, Paula, Ricardo, Scott, Spencer, Terminal Animal, What's That, Will, Alicia, and Jen. With a special shout out to Joe Teague, and Stitch, as always, my boy. All righty, the next thing I want to talk to you guys about real quick is how you can get in touch with me. That's right, you can actually get in touch with me by going over to, or emailing, or not emailing, that's paranormal email, I guess you could, email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. You can go to paranormalalmanac.com for all the info. You can, uh, let's see what else you can do. You can go to storeenvy.com slash paranormalalmanac for all your gift-giving stuff, merch, whatever. But you can also mail me, send me stuff, whatever you want to do at Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Let's get right on into paranormal news because we got a lot of it this week. Let's talk about Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News, the big story. I didn't know which website to get it from. You know, there was Reuters, there's BBC, there's, I mean, basically every news story was talking about it uh, today, actually, yeah. The United States Department of Defense, late on Tuesday, said it will establish a new group to investigate reports on the presence of UFOs in restricted airspace. The formation of the group comes after the government released a report in June, which y'all know about because I keep talking about it. The new group is called Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. What does that stand for? A-O-I-A-O-I-M-S-K. A-O-I-M-S-K. That's not even cool, like, you know, shield or something. Come on, guys. You got to get a better name than that. It'll be overseen by the Undersecretary of Defense of Intelligence the director to the joint staff, and officials from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks said in a separate statement, the presence of UAPs in restricted airspace poses a potential safety of flight, of flight risk to air crews and raises potential national security concerns. The new group, which will succeed the U.S. Navy's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, or ATIP, see that one sounds a little bit better, will work to detect, identify, and attribute uh, objects, assess, and mitigate any associated threats, the Pentagon said. Boy, they like to talk a lot. The U.S. military has spent decades, uh, we already know all that fun stuff. UFOs, they've been around forever. We're just starting to do something about them. The uh, BBC said, that's basically the same, I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but the BBC said uh, they're reporting on it as well. This, this directive includes reducing gaps in intelligence, detection capabilities, analyzing intelligence and counterintelligence data, and recommending policies in the area of UAPs. They are going to very seriously investigate each one. Hey, that's just a win as far as I'm concerned. That is a win on 
all like on everything. Look, the the more stuff they do, the more stuff they come out with saying that they're doing is a good thing. We're getting inch by inch, step by step, closer to disclosure. Up next in paranormal news, is there more than one Loch Ness monster? Not a monster. A Loch Ness monster, not a monster, hunter. Why hunter? Look, you don't have to be a First, stop calling it a monster. It hasn't done anything to anybody, but you don't have to be a hunter. Um, anyhow, this person says that Nessie is not alone in her watery lair. Oh, it's Ian Fadehagen. Fadehagen again. I don't know this person. Uh, who has spent the last 34 years trying to spot the infamous beast, believes that in the best sighting yet, he saw something mysteriously dip beneath the underwater beneath underwater when a cruise ship sailed towards it. He added that, uh, I believe there are unknown creatures or an unknown species in the lock. Uh, then it starts talking about really weird bees halt cricket match. What the heck? All right, well, A, it's a terrible written, terribly written article, but the important part is that Ian O'Fadigan, uh, which, hey, look, if you know how to get a hold of Ian, Ian O'Fadigan, I got to try and figure it out. I want them on this show because I want to talk to them all about Nessie and about how maybe we can stop calling it a freaking monster. But yeah, they're saying that there's a whole species in the lock. More than one Nessie. What do you call the plural of Nessies? Nessies? I don't know. I do not know. Speaking of Loch Ness, next up in paranormal news, a sumptuous, which I just got to say is the worst word that you can use to describe a house as far as I'm concerned, but a sumptuous, luxurious five-bedroom home sits on a wooded hillside with magnificent views over Loch Ness. And it's for sale. That's right. Located in an elevated position on the northern shore of the Loch Ness with panoramic views, the property lies near the settlement of Lockland, Lock End, at the head of the Loch, home to the start of the something canal. Uh, anyhow, the house uh, is all very cool, free-flowing, bright, airy, great flexibility, two levels, got a porch, beautifully open plan, kitchen, breakfast room, sitting area, bedroom suite, family shower room. Family shower room? What the hell is a family shower room? Look, I'm in America. I don't know what a family shower room is. I don't think I want to take a shower with my family. I know that. Not even I don't think. I know that. Uh, it also includes a playroom, a lounge. Oh, yeah. I like that. Now you got me interested. I don't need the family shower room, but I do want a lounge with the bespoke built-in home office area, large utility area, a back kitchen. Uh, I'm not going to read everything. It's got a driveway. It's got three sheds. It's got a workshop. Oh, this place got everything, man. Utility room, a large kennel with run. Ooh, run would like that. Terrace garden feature. Look, basically, it's a freaking pretty house. It's on the market right now. Uh, for 900,000 pounds. So if you have an extra million or more and you want to buy a house right there on the lock, I got to say, this is, you can't beat this house. Boy, it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's a very pretty house. Great views of the lock. Hey, look, you could beat Ian O'Fadigan at his own game and find Nessie before him from the comfort of your own home. And I guess I got to say, I'll put this out there because it's close to Christmas. If you have an extra million laying around and you're like, well, I don't want to live there. You can buy this house for me for a Christmas gift. And I will take, I will do all of my episodes from there. And I will give you like hourly or daily Nessie sighting updates. That's worth it for a million dollars. As far as I'm concerned, that's worth it. Speaking of like hunting cryptids, how about this? How to become a professional certified cryptid hunter. I'm going to figure this thing out because it doesn't really give me a link or anything, but I'm going to find it out and I'm going to do it just for, uh, you know, giggles. I almost said S and giggles. Over advice, Tamlin McGee chronicles his strange journey to the center of a cryptozoological heart of darkness, which is to say he signed up for a sketchy Facebook ad offering an official online degree program hunting imaginary creatures. All right, look, first of all, it's, cryptozoological. It's not imaginary. So let's take it down a notch. Uh, he says, as I spent the, as I sped through the normally $270 center of excellence course at a Tepney discount of only $40. That's right. For only $40, I got to find this course. If you guys find it, send it to me because I'm going to take it. $40. 
I learned snippets about giant anacondas of South America through to the, the future of cryptozoology. I'm kind of curious about that. But there was also, but there was very little in the way of practical field research advice. The course itself resembled an interactive encyclopedia with 10 modules in total, up to 150 hours to complete, according to the Center of Excellence. These included units on the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, legendary sea monsters, Bigfoot, don't effing shoot him, and Mothman, to name a few. Each contained the history behind the cryptids in the popular imagination and detailed the various debunkings or hoaxes but ultimately left it up to the students to decide if there was something to these yetis, chupacabras, mothman, whatever. As McGee speaks with experts in the field throughout his course, he realizes that the recently discovered Kimpunji monkey, which I have talked about on this episode, not this episode, but on this program, it was in one of my paranormal news, basically, was once believed to be a mythological creature too, and is now known to the world. That's right. They used to think it was mythological, just like the Bigfoot, and it's real, people. Hi, Rum. How you doing? I'm just reading a story real quick. You mind? No? All right. Hold on. Uh, of course, by the... Uh, stop licking me. Of course, by the end of the course... <laughs> okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. I love you. Thank you. Of course, by the end of his course of study, he is deep in the end of honing his technique at Bigfoot hunting by learning to mimic the fabled creature's mating call. For only $40, you can become a professional certified cryptid hunter. And like I said, as soon as I find this course, I'm going to take it, and I'll let you guys know so you guys can take it too. Then we can all be certified cryptid hunters. And then I'm going to put that certification up on my wall, and it's going to be better than any kind of college diploma, as far as I'm concerned. All righty, up next in paranormal news, former cop, real-life Ghostbuster, says he exercised Maine doctor pushed around by spirit. That's right. New York Police Department officer Christopher DeFlorio works two beats, one in the 32nd precinct and the other on a higher plane. The 18-year police veteran, 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 who helped plenty of New Yorkers as a crime buster, says nothing compares to the satisfaction of his work fighting Satan in the name of God as a religious demonologist. I always felt I had a higher calling, he said. Um, and to me, this is the highest calling you can have. He said there's nothing funny or wacky about his work, and he takes great satisfaction in putting the spiritual cuffs on a demonic spirit. Across the last three years, the 50-year-old officer's off-duty resume includes a Connecticut exorcism, the cleansing of a spooky Disney World hotel room, and a ritual to clear a wayward spectral presence from his Harlem station house. The lapsed Catholic took a significant step on a spiritual journey with Wife Harmony in 2009. The couple, their marriage on the rock, started attending church and turned their lives over to Jesus. He was soon, hand soon handing out Bibles in Times Square and helping the needy while on patrol. Everything changed from a life-altering 2018 missionary trip to Rwanda, where the officer laid eyes on a man who was clearly possessed. The man was crawling around on the ground. He was making very high, very, very high-pitched noises, as I've never heard before and he was eating his arm. That triggered something into me, and it changed the whole way I do my ministry. Yeah, it's going to change no matter who it is. Look, I don't care if you believe in God or not. If you see someone making very, very high-pitched noises and eating their arm, it's going to trigger something in you, and it's going to change you. Whoa, high winds, crazy winds. Whoa, seriously crazy winds. Great. As soon as I start talking about demons, the winds kick up. Um, he began reading up on demonology and the church. He learned that behind all the secondary evil, the man who kills his children, for instance, or the serial rapist, lies a primary evil. The devil himself. There we go. I started seeing the enemy for who he is. There's actually a personified evil in the devil that is attacking and hurting people. His first encounter with evil was his most personal. A spectral figure that terrified his daughter and her friends at a hotel in Disney World. A four-fingered handprint left on a wall and slamming doors added to the horror, he said. He recalled very calmly performing what's known as a minor exorcism by using holy water to expel the spirit. It was baptism by fire. It was like God led me down a path to do this. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip ahead here. Uh, he gave a demon the boot last winter. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Scared out of his wits by a paranormal presence. More recently, he answered a frantic call from a Connecticut woman whose house was haunted with sigils. 
pictorial signatures attributed to demons from three centuries ago were, scra were scrawled on wood beams in the attic. Okay, cool. I want to see photos of this, see if it's actual sigils or if they're just drawing something from the TV show Supernatural. Even worse, the woman's four-year-old granddaughter was growling like a lion, a sound heard by DeFlorio when he performed an exorcism there. The previous owner we found was actually a satanic witch. She was doing rituals up there and evoking them. See, this is what I'm talking about. I have a feeling that if we actually look up these sigils, it's going to be just basic. You know, if you if you Google the word sigils, it's going to be like those kind of things. Like I said, something from the TV show Supernatural. Anyhow, but apparently she's a supernatural witch. She was doing rituals up there and evoking them. Then she got evicted and we concluded that she bound this demon to the house, that whoever came there is going to have demonic issues. This thing started coming through the little girl. That was chilling. DeFlorio, whose supportive wife typically travels with him, is yet to encounter anyone who is possessed. Such exorcisms are typically performed by priests. Hold on. What about the little girl that was, you know, barking like a lion because of the satanic witch spells with a demon? Come on. He says, uh, last month, the couple helped a doctor in Maine who was literally getting pushed around his home by an unexplained spirit. He says he still hears some snickers from people once they learn of his ghost-busting efforts. But when you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, a majority of people believe. They'll say, I'm just kidding, I had an experience, or I know someone who... All right, that is true. I will say that... I will say that when people find out I have a paranormal podcast at a bar or whatever, they usually first roll their eyes or laugh or whatever, and then they go, oh, well, you know what? I actually had this experience, or my grandma was haunted by a blah, 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 or I saw a UFO, so I can get behind that part of it. But still, I want to know more about these sigils. I got to see if I can find out, see if I can find some photos of them. All right, last but not least in paranormal news, woman camping finds cryptid or pervert in a tree watching her tent at 3 a.m. Mysterious images apparently show a cryptid or a pervert lurking in a tree watching a female camper who left her tent at 3 a.m. to investigate some strange noises. There's a video in the tip, uh, in the tip, in the clip, just the clip, not the tip, which was shared on YouTube. A vaguely human shape appears to be crouching in the fork of a large tree. A pair of bright spots are positioned where the eyes would be, making people believe, make people, ah, making people believe it is indeed some kind of animal or a contorted person. All righty, let me see if I can find the video real quick. Oh, I think I was, I think I found it. All right, that was easier than I thought. Let's skip the ad. Let's pump up the sound. All right, let's get past this crappy music. Still crappy music. Who were out here camping back in 2020 and something very strange occurred while they were camping one night in camping. June of 2020. Camping. Also in this video, we're going to take a look at some video. No, we're going to find the stupid video and we're going to see what the woman saw while she was camping they were at but here's an example of what camping looks like over here in That's this area and you can see there's rvs here at this particular campsite you can also camp in tents and there's a little pond right in case you guys don't know what camping is you can camp in an rv you can camp in a tent you can camp in a campground it's all about camping get me to the freaking video yeah 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 no one cares no one cares here we go is some sort of a camper or an R. Alrighty, so there is, it's a smaller tree than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's someone crouching in a tree. I wouldn't, huh. Something that looks out of place up here in the tree. I'm not claiming to know what this is. I'm not I'm leaving that up to you guys. I'm going to leave tell it up to you guys what too. We're looking at. You tell me Something what we're learning was about. making noise at their camp. All right, to me, that looks like a pervert, dude. It looks like a guy with a beard crouching in a tree and his eyes are reflected in the camera but um let's see it was recorded at a campsite in Edenbridge, kent at around 3 a.m after the woman left her tent to investigate a strange noise and started taking photos at random with her flash to try and capture the creature in the dark the youtuber says you can see something that looks out of place up there in the tree you can tell it's not a branch it's not leaves no it's a freaking dude um says the figure could could be is open to interpretation it does look humanoid you can see the head shoulders arms with knees up to the chest in a crouching position. A corker of mine claims to have seen the Mothman about around 9 p.m., no later than 10 p.m. in that very campground. BS. I call BS on that one. A uh, bunch of people said, I've seen a group of four of those standing shoulder to shoulder in bushes next to my house in Amherst, Ohio. 
another person says, ooh, this is spooky. I have a dog. I have a puppy that needs to go outside in the middle of the night. We're in a heavily wooded area. I've seen, I sent you a much clearer picture of this thing. A very clear photo standing in the trees last week. Please check your email. Yeah. All right. I don't know what it is. It's definitely humanoid. It's definitely, in my opinion, it's a dude with a beard in a tree crouching, possibly naked. I'm, yeah, in my guess, it's a naked dude doing things to himself. Anyhow, cryptid or pervert, you decide. That's the new, that's the new, um, that's the new game we like to play here on Paranormal Almanac. Cryptid or pervert, you decide. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment. We are back. All righty, on this edition, let's start the first of what I expect to be very many episodes on haunted theaters. Now, I actually talked about the haunted theater experience that I had back in the day at Wayne State University in Detroit when I went to college there on an old episode. Even had a listener talk to me about their experiences there too. So, I guess you can say I've been intrigued with haunted theaters for basically as long as I can actually remember. Uh, it seems like every theater has a ghost story, but is it an urban legend kind of a ghost story or is it a real ghost story? And that's the problem with this episode. I can't guarantee that I've weeded out all of the urban legends, but I definitely tried. I went through a lot of sources, a lot of websites, and people kind of make fun of me when I say, oh, I went through a lot of sources. And they go, no, you didn't. You just kind of Googled blah, blah, blah. No, no. I actually tried to corroborate stories weed out the ones that are just regurgitated BS, figure out if the dates and the facts make sense. In fact, there's one on here that is kind of a debunk, but you'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But let me just start by saying that uh, these aren't going to be just acting theaters. On this episode, it is. But what I want is I want to do a whole series of haunted theaters. So basically, any venue with a stage... So if you know of a local concert venue that's haunted or high school theater, it doesn't have to be Broadway. I want to know about haunted theaters because like I said, it seems like there's a ton of them and seems like I can do a, quite a few episodes on it and I'm kind of really excited to do it. Alrighty, but for this episode, let's start and stay in New York and let's talk about real theater theaters, like the Broadway style theaters. Now the first one I'm going to talk about I was like, you know what? This should be the final story on this episode because I love it so much. But I figured, no, let's do it Broadway style. Let's start with a bang. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. But this story has a little bit of everything. It's the kind of story that I love. It's got a lot of eyewitnesses and it's just cool as crap. All right. It's the Disney owned New Amsterdam Theater on Broadway. All right, technically, it's 214 West 42nd Street at the southern end of Times Square, but, you know, it's Broadway. It's a Broadway theater. This grand theater opened in 1903, then really became known in uh, 1913 when it held the Zigfield Follies, a show that would run there for the next 14 years. Now, it fell into disrepair in 1929 during the Great Depression. And I got to say, that happens to a lot of these theaters in New York that are on this episode and on future episodes. It's horrific how quickly these theaters fall into disrepair. But anyhow, this one, this specific one, the New Amsterdam Theater, it really didn't get revived until it was brought, it was bought by Disney, I should say, in 1993. But we're going to go back to the Zigfield Follies. To a very specific chorus girl named Olive Thomas, quoted as one of the most beautiful Zigfield girls to grace the line. And I gotta say, I really kind of fell in love with her. I could see why everybody else did as well. I looked into her quite a bit. She was just a beautiful girl, a Zigfield Follies kind of girl, like 20s girl. She married actor Jack Pickford, who was Mary Pickford's brother, I believe. Mary Pickford, in case you don't know, very, very famous Hollywood silent movie star. But um, anyhow, Olive, though, her life was cut short at the age of 25. When on September 10th, 1920, she died in Paris 
five days after ingesting her husband's syphilis medication, mercury dichloride. Dichloride. That's right. When she was 25, she got married to this guy, Jack Pickford. They went to Paris, and she accidentally, possibly, ingested her husband's syphilis medication, mercury dichloride. Now, that brought on acute nephritis, and she died suddenly of mercury poisoning, basically. It seems like it was accidental, but I really don't know. It's really hard to say because... It's been called one of like the like the first heavily publicized Hollywood scandals. And rightfully so. I mean, it is a very very bizarre story. It seems very odd that she would be able to basically down a bottle of these either pills or liquids. Again, it's very hard to determine, but why she would do that? Was it accidental? Was it an act of suicide? Was it murder? This is that Hollywood scandal that basically came out in 1920 about this story. She had everything. She was just getting started in her career. She was doing theater in New York, the Ziegfeld Follies. She was doing silent movies in Hollywood. She married, like I said, Jack Pickford, the brother, I believe, of Mary Pickford, one of the biggest stars at the time, when all of this came down. But this episode isn't all about Olive, so let's get back to the New Amsterdam Theater. So the actors and crew at the New Amsterdam Theater have witnessed basically everything paranormal you can think of. Objects moving, cold spots, voices, whispers, footsteps, full-bodied apparitions, being pushed, being touched, hair being pulled. Look, if a ghost can do it, it's been done here. And guess who's doing it? You better guess Olive, because she's pretty much the only person I've talked about on this episode. That's right. Olive Thomas has been spotted gliding across the stage walking through walls, climbing stairs, blowing kisses to an invisible audience. Look, she's done everything I've already talked about. And very clearly, it's Olive. She appeared periodically throughout the 1920s, then became quiet during the Depression, basically during the dilapidation of the theater, for decades. And uh, people would always describe her the same way, though. A woman from the 20s wearing a sash, almost like a... um, you know, very 1920s haircut. Basically, if you can think of like a flapper girl, that's what you're thinking of. Uh, When she spoke, that's right, the ghost of Olive actually spoke fairly often. It was always very 1920s Hollywood. In fact, people over the next 50 years who obviously didn't know each other, when they heard her speak and talked about it, they would always mimic the ghost lady's voice, Olive's voice, the exact same way. For decades, people have described her the same, you know, looking the same, and the way she talked exactly the same. Now, her ghost was spotted less and less, like I said. Then, when the Disney Corporation bought the theater, construction workers began reporting seeing a woman carrying a blue bottle, yep, that bottle of mercury dichloride, spotted in the cordoned off areas of the construction site and everywhere throughout the theater. Sometimes very ghost-like, but other times they really thought it was just a woman dressed up as 1920s outfit, walking around in a blue sash and a blue dress, carrying a blue bottle. They're like, what the crap? Who is this person? Now, Dana Amendola, who is vice president of operations for the Disney Theatrical Group, he became a believer when it was reported that he was touring the old New Amsterdam Roof Theater in the mid-2000s, when it was being converted into an office space, basically. Now, as he passed the stage, he suddenly and distinctly heard the sound of tap dancing on the boards above him. So he's like, what the crap is that? He climbs back up to the stage level very quickly. There's nobody there. He was completely alone. Now, a bunch of sites say her photographs are placed at every entrance to the theater so workers can greet her when they arrive for work each day. That's believed to keep her mischief to a minimum. And Disney night watchmen at the theater, one of them actually resigned on the spot after reportedly witnessing a woman cross the stage and disappear through a solid wall. You're going to hear this next part quite a bit on this episode. This is a very grain of salt story. Like I said, I was trying to get rid of all of the legend and just talk about the eyewitnesses. I think this eyewitness part is true, but grain of salt time anyway. 
So Dana Amendola said that a female replacement conductor who had worked on Mary Poppins and knew about the Olive Ghost was getting ready in the dressing room at this theater. So they're in the New Amsterdam Theater. She's a replacement conductor. They called her in because they needed a, you know, a conductor. They needed a replacement. So she was reading from an email and said out loud, well, Olive, I'm back again, and I'm a little nervous. I just wanted to introduce myself again and ask if you could please give me some good luck. Then she said, I wonder what the Follies girls would have thought about a female conductor. She said just then, when she finished saying that sentence, couple sentences, just then, four of the round dressing room uh, light bulbs, basically, around the mirror, flickered on and off for a few seconds, and then blinked out completely. She said it was a little wink. It was like a wink. She was signaling, signaling that she was fine with the idea of a female conductor. They checked, and it turns out all the bulbs had been replaced earlier. There was nothing wrong with the electricity, nothing they could find anyway. And they still to this day don't know why only half the bulbs did that. All right, another very cool and, again, I hope is true story from the New Amsterdam is this one. After the opening of Aladdin in 2014 on theater, remember on Broadway, an audience member came up to one of the ushers during a performance and asked if she could have a booster seat for her child. We don't like to interrupt a show, so we waited until the intermission and came to her with a booster seat, but we found out she already had one. When we asked her where she'd gotten it, she said, oh, a lady at the back of the theater had gestured to where they were. Here's the thing. We don't have a woman in the back of the house who does that in the middle of a show. We checked and none of the staff had done it. They said, so you can take that how you like, but it was kind of freaky. Uh, Dana went on to say, we embrace it. She's never violent, always playful. She kind of embodies what we're all about here at Disney. We're in the business of happiness and to have someone from so long ago acknowledge that, uh, acknowledging that she's pleased make us feel like we're doing the right things. She doesn't appear on Halloween, for instance. When people try to find her, they can't. She tends to just appear just at the moment we forget about her. When we're busy putting in a new show or putting a new office in, when there's changes happening. I think that's really freaking cool. All right, uh, let's continue on the Broadway uh, to the Belasco Theater. Now, this one opened in October of 1907 by owner David Belasco at 111 West 44th Street. It cost seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in 1907 i looked it up basically it's equivalent to 18.2 million dollars now it was the most luxurious theater in 1907 it featured tiffany glass decor 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 and murals by artist everett shin now above the theater was david's personal penthouse duplex get this it was called the Belasco Penthouse. It had salons, 10 bedrooms, dining areas, and a studio. But the living room was the apartment's bizarre part. It was basically designed like a Gothic church with huge, very tall um, ceilings. It was where David Belasco basically showcased his collection of art, theater memorabilia, and erotica. Yep. 1907. This dude loved the ladies and all things erotica. Now, don't worry. This will be important in a second. I'm not just kind of kink shaming a dead guy. All right. This was the crown jewel of Broadway back then. Now, David Belasco died at age 77 in 1931, but his ghost stayed behind like from the get-go. The second he died, boom, his ghost was seen. Okay, but here's where it's hard to kind of distinguish eyewitness accounts from legends. So grain of salt for this entire theater's ghost story. It seems from a lot of eyewitnesses, though, that David's ghost was seen almost immediately following his death, continues to be seen here to this day, though he's often described as a monk ghost by a lot of websites. I looked it up. He's always wearing a black suit with a clerical collar, which is pretty much what he wore all the time when he was alive. So I've kind of debunked the whole monk ghost part of it because people are like, oh, there's two ghosts. There's the ghost is the old owner. And then there's this monk that's seen there all the time or sometimes priest, but they always call it a monk for whatever reason. No, it's all David. It's what he wore all the time. There is no monk ghost there, just David. But he's a playful ghost 
though it said he plays pranks on the Belasco Theater's cast and crew, and depending on the eyewitness accounts, it's everything from voices, shadows, stuff being moved, laughing, scents, and even a full-bodied apparition. I'm talking not see-through. He's seen. He is straight up seen, solid as ever, depending, again, talking, he's like, the cast members throughout the years have said, oh, yeah, he comes up and just starts talking to us after a show, shaking their hands, telling them it's a good performance. It's a solid dude, not a ghost. I mean, it is a ghost, but he looks like a solid dude. Now, David Belasco has been seen in the theater's private box during rehearsals, also seen there on opening nights, usually alone, but sometimes with the ghost of a woman in blue, dubbed the Blue Lady. Now, serious legend time. I don't buy it, but uh, the Blue Lady is a woman said to be the spirit of a beautiful actress who died after falling down an elevator shaft that would take Belasco and his friends up to his penthouse. Nope. Here's the thing. I couldn't find anything about this incident, which would have definitely made the papers. He was such a big news story. It was the biggest theater. Like I said, it was like $18 million theater in today's cash. Just huge. It would have made the news. So I don't buy that one at all. But people do see him with a blue lady. Now, others believe that she's the ghost of a redheaded stripper who worked in the building when, quote, it became a strip club called the Follies in the mid-1900s. She is said to have committed suicide by hanging herself in the Belasco's theater basement. No. Again, I can't find anything. That's that's the urban legend kind of crap. Look, you don't need to you don't need to make up a backstory. You're seeing a ghost that you see all the time, the old owner, you know who he is, and every now and then you see a ghost woman sitting next to him. You don't need to add to the story, people. You're seeing ghosts. All righty, anyhow. On to the creepy perv ghost David time. His ghost is known to pinch the butts of actresses performing at the playhouse, even spying on them in the dressing room and the showers, and a bunch of sights share this story of an actress who was taking a shower in her dressing room when the bathroom door suddenly flew open. She jumped out to yell at whoever it was, except no one was there except for a creepy blue glow. Look, dude, the guy likes to uh, pinch some butts and check on some women showering. He's got he's kind of a perv ghost. Now, like I said, he's actually seen watching rehearsals and shows. I gotta, I just gotta go back to this part, and then congratulates the casts after good shows by shaking their hands and talking to them. But if it's a bad show, they say they don't see him. But when they get back into their dressing rooms after the show, the dressing rooms are all messed up. Like, just things thrown about everywhere. Now, some sites say that the Belasco Theater's non-functioning elevators that would have gone up to the basically penthouse are often heard going up and down when they don't work anymore. But what I can find online, though, I don't think that's exactly right. I think it's kind of been embellished a little bit. The stagehand eyewitnesses have said they have heard the sounds of the elevator chains, but not the elevator itself. Still cool, though. Still very, very cool. And that apartment, that uh, penthouse apartment, 10-bedroom penthouse apartment, it's kind of in ruins now, sadly. And multiple voices and disembodied footsteps are heard in there as well. But the big one is they've also heard a huge, like, 1920s kind of party with dancing and laughing and 20s music is heard up in this abandoned penthouse. So I went to look for it. I, want, I wanted to find out what this penthouse actually looked like and I actually found a video online from Playbill, it's on YouTube, of a quick tour of the apartment in 2010. I gotta say, that apartment must have been absolutely amazing back in the day. I can't believe they haven't, no one's like renovated it yet. That thing would go for millions, or at the very least, you know, whoever owns the theater now, you would think they would want that as their apartment. It's freaking incredible. I got to say, I would love to investigate not only the theater, but the apartment itself. It seems incredibly cool. Alrighty, Melissa Errico, who played Mina in the Dracula the Musical there, she kind of has a cool ghost story about David. She said, my dresser Kathy saw him walk into a mirror the other day. She thinks he lives in the mirror in the wall outside my dressing room. One night I forgot my coat and I had to turn, and I had turned out the lights in my room. I turned back to get my coat in the dark and someone 
turn the small, pretty table light on for me to see my way. She said it was spooky. As soon as I opened the door to leave, as I was walking out, someone closed the door behind me. I didn't touch it, but I watched it move and close on its own. During the run of Passing Strange in 2008 there, Daniel Breaker said he told Playbill in an interview that one evening when he was putting on his makeup in his dressing room, uh, he was looking in the dressing room mirror when he saw an old man with white hair sitting behind him, silently watching him. So this guy, uh, Daniel, was like, what the crap? He turns around demanding to know what this guy's doing there, and the man, who resembled no one working on the show, was gone. He reported the incident to the house manager, who was told... You just saw David Belasco. I thought that was a very cool theater as well. All these theaters just seemed absolutely amazing with their stories. But up next is the Palace Theater on Broadway. It opened in 1913. It doesn't have just one or two ghosts, but it has hundreds of ghosts. This is like the haunted mansion of theaters. At least one, though, is known. It's the ghost of a, of a performer named Louis Borsel, Borsellino. Yeah, Louis Borsellino. Now, he was an acrobat that supposedly fell to his death in the middle of a show here in the 1950s, died right there on stage. Since then, many have seen his ghost swinging from the rafters, then screaming as he misses his mark and plummets, like kind of on repeat, or they see him walking a tightrope from the house left box up to the mezzanine. Here's the thing. I said supposedly fell and died because with just very, very little bit of research, there's a New York Times article from 1935 that said there was an accident involving Mr. Louis Borsellino at the palace, but he was listed as only badly hurt and didn't die. So sure, it could be just, you know, on repeat. It was just a tragic event, so it's on repeat, but he didn't die. Now there's all these sites that say if you're at the Palace Theater and you witness Louis Borsellino his ghost die in front of you, you'll die within the year. Nope. BS. That's crap. There is no corroborating evidence that anything like that is true. That's urban legend crap. Now, like other theaters in this episode, it suffered hard times during the Great Depression. It was converted into a cinema and was renamed the RKO Palace in 1932. And again, according to Playbill, there are quite a few ghosts here. There is a white gown cellist who plays in the pit who last appeared to Andrea McArdle when she was doing Beauty and the Beast there, a sad little girl who looks down from the balcony, a man in a brown suit who walks quickly past open office doors there at night, a boy who rolls trucks on the landing behind the mezzanine, also said that Judy Garland herself haunts the theater and her presence is felt near a door that was built especially for her at the rear of the orchestra, during a run of the 2011 revival, actor Ryan Vandenboom, Ryan Vandenboom, that's a cool name, um, claimed that when he was alone in the dressing room one night, he thought he heard a voice call, Judy. That's cool. I like that. That's got enough ghosts. But again, there are a ton, anything you can think of that ghosts do, all of the basics, you know, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the voices, the footsteps, the moving stuff, the touching stuff, shadows, Everything is also seen here at the Palace Theater. Alrighty, let's go up to the, uh, let's actually go to the next one. And I'm going to call this the last one for this episode. Uh, it's the Eugene O'Neill Theater. Now, it was formerly known as the Forest Theater. It opened on November 24th, 1925. The venue was renamed the Coronet Theater in 1945. Then in 1959, it became the Eugene O'Neill Theater. Now, this theater only has two ghosts, though. Sorry. It's got a man and a woman ghost, but they're seen all over the theater, including on stage next to actors, and they whisper in their ears during plays. That's right. All of a sudden, there'll be a guy or a woman on stage next to the actors while they're trying to, you know, act, and they whisper in their ears during the play. I couldn't find out if they're, like, whispering lines whispering anything coherent to what is actually happening, saying like, you suck, you're a terrible actor, emote. Like, I couldn't find out any words that they were saying, but I, I don't know how many out there have ever, you know, done acting, even in like high school or junior high or whatever, but um, acting is hard enough 
You don't need a ghost suddenly appearing next to you and then whispering in your ear. Uh, they also do the basics, you know, voices, whispers, footsteps, shadows, move props, push things off shelves, uh, object shelves, shelves, objects disappear and then reappear in odd places like on a forgotten rack in the theater basement. Now that one is a cool story. I really like the fact that uh, they couldn't figure out like, oh, this thing just kind of disappeared. Oh, well, whatever. And it wasn't until weeks later they went down to this forgotten rack in the back of the theater basement that nobody goes down to. And sure enough, there's this prop just sitting there that, that had disappeared. Uh, they tug actors' hair. They do push. They do all the fun stuff. Crazy ex-girlfriend star Donna Lynn Champlain. Champlain? I don't know if you know the, the uh, show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Fantastic show. Uh, Donna Lynn Champlain. Very, very cool. She was in Sweeney Todd at the Eugene O'Neill Theater in 2006. She said, We believe there are at least two ghosts at the Eugene O'Neill. One male and one female. During previews, things would randomly fall from the upstage prop shelf. Sometimes dangerous things like gardening shears when no one is remotely near it. Actors' hair get tugged every once in a while. And they've heard their characters' names whispered in their ears while on stage. That was as much as I could find about, like, the whispers in the ear. But that's, like I said, that is creepy that all of a sudden their characters' names whispered in their ears. They, uh, they go on to say there was a strong smell of lilac, sometimes downstage left. My whistle disappeared from my bloody lab coat, which never leaves the stage, and was found down in the basement in the dead rack of clothes. They found it weeks later because they moved the rack and it fell to the ground. Patty's dressing room, that's Patty um, Lapone, uh, dressing room has doors that open and close on their own. She also thought she had stepped backwards onto her friend's foot. So she's like, oh, excuse me. And her friend said, what for? Patty turned around and her friend was a good two feet away from her. And there was nothing that she could have stepped on right there. Now, another one of the stars, Merwin Ford, said, I set up the cot to take a nap between a rehearsal and a show. And I asked out loud for a wake up call. Sure enough, at 6.30, I was awakened by a slap on the bottom of my shoe that almost sent my head crashing up into the bottom of the counter that I had placed my cot under. Here's the thing. No one was in the room but me. So, you know, pleasant theater ghosts. They do the wake-up calls and everything. But, uh, yeah, this is, like I said, this is just the beginning of the haunted theaters. There's a ton more, absolute ton more. But I wanted to kind of start this haunted theater kind of episodes with the bang. And in my opinion, I think this is the bang that I was looking for. I would love, absolutely love, too bad, like, that's not true. I almost said too bad that the, the pandemic's still not going on. No, screw that. I'm glad the pandemic is not still going on or it's pretty much over. But uh, it would have been very cool to live in New York during the pandemic when everything was closed, when Broadway was shut down and get permission to go through these theaters when they're completely empty and down. Because like I said, it seems like every theater on Broadway, you're going to hear about it more on other episodes, every theater in Broadway has these very cool ghost stories. I would love to investigate these theaters. Absolutely love. And especially when the theater is like empty and down and dark. I think it would be amazing. But anyhow, this is the first of many haunted theaters. Like I said... If you know of any, let me know. If you have any theater ghost stories, let me know. Because I also want to include not the big ones, not the Broadway ones, but the, the small theaters, the small venues, the concert venues. Because every one of those have ghosts too. There's going to be a concert venue or concert theater uh, episode. It's not just Broadway. There's going to be a bunch of them. Not necessarily all in a row, but uh, probably coming up fairly soon because, like I said... Some great, great stories, and I absolutely love these kind of things. So hopefully you guys love them too. What do you guys think? Do you think every theater, you know, there's, if you've ever done theater, there's a connection you have. The connection that I have to my high school theater, I can picture it in my mind's eye, what it looked like, what it smelled like, what it was like to be on stage. There is some kind of emotional connection. Same thing with the college theaters. There's any emotional connection that you get to being on stage. And I think that kind of stays with you. Seems like it stays with you even after you die. 
And you want to go back to those good times, the amazing fun times you have when you're doing, you know, plays, when you're on the, on the stage doing theater, you know, the parties afterwards, going to Denny's, whatever it is afterwards, it seems like it really kind of sticks with you. And, uh, it's going to stick with you past death. So I think it's kind of cool. What do you guys think? Do you have any of those kind of connections to a theater that you can think of? All righty. Think about it. Get back to me. That about does it for this episode of Paranormal Almanac. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik. Thank you so, so much. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. For those that celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, anyhow. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savvy, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Okay. Wait for it. Wait for them to leave. Did, did everybody leave? All right, so check this out. Today is the 50th anniversary of the D.B. Cooper disappearance. And I know it's not paranormal at all, but I really kind of want to do an episode about D.B. Cooper. So don't be surprised if somewhere down the line I do an episode on D.B. Cooper, and I should have had it done already for today because it's the 50th anniversary of the D.B. Cooper hijacking. I don't know. I just wanted to throw that at the end. If you're still listening, thumbs up. If you're not still listening, you wouldn't know it because you stopped listening. All righty. Uh, here, uh, here comes the theme music, the end end theme music. And then I'm sure I'll say something stupid backwards. If you guys ever wonder what the hell those things are at the end, figure it out. Listen to them. It's, it's something, it's fun for everybody. All righty. Thanks for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, stay away from crazy racist relatives at Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, uh, he be yeah.